Blog Talk Radio. Take a quick, quick break, break real quick, and then we'll um, 
then we'll get on to I'll, I'll talk about my uh, about verses and what I thought of it. And now we're gonna start off with the um, probably talking talking about uh, Maxwell and DM. I mean D Nice. Okay, and so we'll do all that. This is a kind of off the cuff show, so you guys, it's kind of I'm trying to find what I was gonna play for y'all. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to play. I thought I had it up, but I didn't. I don't have it up. Okay, so let's start off with, because we, we're getting ready to talk about math, so we'll start off with something, something. I'll be back in a moment, and we'll hit up, and we'll, you know, hit up this thing, this review for Versus, and Maxwell talking with D-Nice about Urban Hang. So we're going to talk about all that. I'll tell you my thoughts on it, that and more when we come back uh, on the CC show, okay? This is Carlotta. I know I wasn't supposed to be on this weekend, okay? I'm here. We're going to talk. All right, be back in a moment.
Okay, guys, I know that song was low. Okay, I had it down really low. Sorry about that. Okay, this is a crazy night because I wasn't planning on coming on. <laughs> so I'm giving y'all a show that's kind of really off the cuff and just, on, you know, after seeing verses, I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and go live because I really want to catch how I felt about it in the moment. And I was, I'm so excited about it. But I also want to talk to you guys about uh, D-Nice and Maxwell, Maxwell's talking. I think he also talked to Ebro. He's, he's probably going to talk. I think he's talking about he's talking this whole week about the 25th anniversary of Urban Hang Suite and stuff like that, which I'm getting ready to get into in a minute. But I want to say this real quick. Uh, prayers for DMX, man. Oh, my God. That's just so sad right now. They're, you know, they've been saying that DMX, the rapper, you know, that he's on life support in uh, – um, at the hospital, he, uh, he had a, a heart attack after suffering from an overdose, okay? And if you know anything about DMX's story, DMX has been struggling with a drug usage for so many years. And so, you know, prayers for his family, prayers for uh, him to get, you know, complete healing in his body because, you know, listen, you know, the enemy – I say this has been after that young man for so long because he's so powerful, such a powerful voice. Uh, you know, he really loves God really in his heart. You know what I'm saying? If you ever listen to DMX talk, I mean, he's, he's he loves God. But, it, you know, it's a struggle sometimes. Who knows what people are going through in their spirit, you know what I'm saying, where they, where they get hooked on those, you know, get hooked on drugs and stuff. I mean, I always tell people it is the grace. A God, you know what I'm saying? That Lord, that I, you know, that I don't, I ain't got on, I ain't on nothing. <laughs> it's the grace of God that you ain't got on nothing. It could be one thing that could take your world completely down, and you know what I'm saying. And a drug be right there, and you start using. So, and it's and those some of those habits are so hard to kick. Okay, so for you people, young people out here, I'm telling y'all, all right, old people too. Stay away from drugs. I would play uh, my 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 son. Uh, you know, my son come home to Jesus. What's that song by Fred Bourne? That I be. We always play as a joke around here, but it's facts. Come on to Jesus. Come on today. Get off. off get up off that cocaine crack. Get your mind. Get that's for real. Cause they know these drugs is no fucking joke out here, and especially when you a celebrity. Any celebrity listening to the sound of my voice? Let me tell you something. If you use drugs and all that stuff uh, uh, over the top and stuff, listen, it is some, it's the vultures that are flying around you waiting to eat at your caucus. So make sure that you take care of yourself, take care of your mind, because, listen, them catalogs sometimes, like Shaka Khan, I love when she was on uh, Larry King a few years, several years ago, and she said that one of her managers told her when she was on drugs, she, she said, you know you were more dead than alive. Straightened her ass out because, you know, they were trying to tell her something. Stay off of them drugs because, you know, people can do you in and we wouldn't even know the difference if you was on drugs because people think you just died by overdose. So that's why I tell celebrities especially, in them, you know, I understand how they get on them because it's such a crazy lifestyle. It's such a wild lifestyle. But at the same time, you got to protect yourself because it's the vultures flying around too. So prayers for him, prayers for his family, and that's just in life, period. Vultures is always around when you are in a state that where you can't take, you know, when you come into a state of addiction. So just prayers for him, prayers for his family, all right? All right, so this week, 
Bay was on. <laughs> it was on D I mean, I was like, he looks so cute. Maxwell showed up. He had a suit on. The afro was out. I was like, oh, look at him. He looks so cute. D Nice. It, uh, it was D Nice. Uh, who he did a like a whole segment of what do you do? Maxwell and Marvin Gaye. Which you know, I always say Maxwell is the heir to Marvin Gaye's throne. Yes, I said it. And there's a reason why I say Maxwell's the heir to the Marvin Gaye drama. There's a few reasons why I say that because, you know, Maxwell has that odd vibe like Marvin did and personality and stuff like that. But Maxwell also, you know, he's a smooth pruner. He's very smooth. He's always really, uh, you know, keeps it sexy like Marvin did. I mean, so there's so many similarities to them to me. So, yeah, you know, and plus, you know, uh, Urban Hainsley was released. Like on was it on his birthday, which was so crazy, and you know one of the people who wrote "I Want You" was just my shit. I want you is my shit. Okay, <laughs> that's one of my more favorite Marvin books. But you know was on his record too. So isn't that something? Like that's so dope. You know Leon Ware. So I, that's so cool. I mean that how did that happen? You know. So there. So there is. I I really appreciate. I love the nice. Uh, doing that whole thing with Marvin and Maxwell, and he said Maxwell suggested to him. Now, here's the interesting thing I found funny and interesting. <laughs> this was kind of cool that it was done before Versus. I mean, let me just say this, D-Nice. You are having a hell of a weekend, all right, Gemini? D-Nice is a Gemini. So you are having a hell of a weekend in Aries season. <laughs> I mean, he's having a great time. I mean, he interviewed Maxwell, and then tonight he uh, DJed the hell out of verses, okay? So uh, shout-out to D-Nice, but let me just say this. Let's go back here a little bit with Maxwell, okay? So the Maxwell interview was everything that – and it was just the interview, okay? But it almost had a versus vibe to it, even though it was just the interview. And let me explain why. Because they had the DJ set before with all Maxwell and Marvin's songs. And then, you know, Maxwell comes on. And here's the thing, I lo- what I loved about it, because I felt like it was everything that – and this is not to compare them, okay, but I got to say it. It was everything that D'Angelo's versus should have been. <laughs> I mean, it's so suspicious to me. Like, I felt like D'Angelo's verses was good, but I felt like it wasn't advertised enough. It wasn't put out there enough. And I felt like there were certain things that they just didn't catch, like bringing in the certain certain artists. And it had to be a lot, but certain people to speak on certain things and everything. It, it, with I know they had Missing Man and Red Man and Her, but that wasn't enough. <laughs> I felt like D'Angelo needed a little bit more. And Maxwell, he had some heavy hitters, like, show up in his his uh, uh, in the in the D Nice interview, okay? Because you know Jimmy Jam showed up. <laughs> Shit, I mean, damn, that's a lot. And then a Sharon of all people, what's the girl Sharon Stone? I'm like, damn. <laughs> so it was really, really interesting on that note. I really, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was really nice. It's cool to see Maxwell. Maxwell, you're in the kitchen. I don't know. He had on the suit in the kitchen. <laughs> But it was cute, it was cute, like, you know, but I was like, okay. But it was, you know, it was it was nice to see um, 
see him in that kind of vibe, it was fun. I mean, you know, and hearing his influences about Urban Hangsuite, what he saw when Urban Hangsuite was coming out, uh, you know, going back, visiting that time, how he felt about it, how Urban Hangsuite was, you know, one of those um, albums that was a big intro to, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, and let me just say this, okay? Neo Soul, I always hated that term in some senses because it's not new. I mean, they were just fucking doing the traditions of Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, people like that. You know, that 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 wasn't really new. It was just that soul music, it was just, it was a lot, it was a big, huge, and I, Maxwell kind of touched on this, but it was a big, huge hip-hop era, and people like Maxwell and D'Angelo and Erica reintroduced soul music into the mix, in the mix of this, you know, huge movement of hip-hop, okay? So, um, wow, I mean, you know, it really, they weren't really doing anything new. It was just the continuing on the traditions of soul music, okay? So, now, couple of things. I'm trying to get all the good things out there. Like, man, what he had on his. Did he have on? Did he, have, he didn't have them glasses on. He didn't have them high his glasses on. <laughs> you should have some glasses. You should have these nice gave away some glasses or something. <laughs> I'm trying to sell them glasses. <laughs> you should have. You should have gave away a couple of pairs. Shit, so people can know you got some glasses. <laughs> like people don't be working it right. Shit, my ass was saying, I bought a couple pair on here to give away. You know. First couple of fans that come on and talk to me, you get a pair of state politicals, my new sunglasses. Shit, you got to know how to advertise. I know you old school, Maxwell, but listen here. I know you're an OG, but you better learn from the newbies. They be out here advertising all they shit. <laughs> He's so humble. You just want to put on the glasses. You got you to gotta sell your shit. It's for a good cause, okay? All right, so... Yeah, but I noticed that. I had to laugh, you know. But uh, here's the thing. And, and, you know, and wait a minute. If I would, you know, and if I was state political, I mean, I probably would have been a sponsor or something. What is it, state political? Is the name of sunglasses or something? Shit, you got to sell this shit. I mean, y'all got to put that shit out there. Sell them damn sunglasses. Are they, are they, are they sold out yet? I mean, you got to sell them. That's how you do. You got to move or make them a sponsor or something. Shit. Spon- they should have sponsored D-Nice's fucking uh um, music between with you Because I didn't see that up there Maybe they did but I didn't see it Like they could have sponsored that For D-Nice and you or whatever But I like this Just my, you know How I roll <laughs> In my mind But I really enjoyed it I love the go back of, of Urban Hainsuite And hearing all the You know the details about Urban Hainsuite I, as, as I've said on here a lot of times I was not that big of a Maxwell fan During Urban Hainsley, I saw him. I liked Till the Cops Come Knocking was my shit. I love that song. But, listen, I wasn't really, you know, I thought he was cute. I seen, I, I really liked the MTV um, Unplugged or whatever. But I had this girlfriend. I always tell the story. I told her last week, named Gayla, for those of you who missed it. And she was crazy about Maxwell. And she used to always tell us about him. We'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, but when we went to see him live, oh. <gasps> I mean, not only was he beautiful, but he was so good. I mean, I mean, like, he was really talented. I was like, wow, this dude is like, damn, he's different. He's, you know, and at the time, I didn't know his background was 
uh, West Indies. Even though you could kind of see there was something like kind of you know different, but but it it, it was really interesting. Um, yeah, I wasn't. T- Urban Hang Sweet was on my first Maxwell album. My first, I think I bought it a shortly after I bought Embrya. But yeah, no, <laughs> that's facts. That's true. Uh, but uh, yeah, because Embrya, I loved Embrya. Uh, actually, liked. Let me tell you what I loved about Embrya. I loved the uh, co What's the how do you say the song? Kakur. You know, y'all know what the fuck I'm talking about. But the, how I, I really love that video. And not, not because he was just in the bathtub. I mean, that's some of it. <laughs> but, no, I actually thought it was creative. I thought it was fun. It had this vibe to it, and I loved the song. And I was like, damn, that's dope, you know, whatever. So I, that's really where I went and said, you know, I'm going to buy that. And then I like, oh, I know, and I really love. This is what made me buy it. No, it wasn't. Close. It wasn't that video. That I love that video, and I love the song. But what made me buy it was that uh, one night, um, maybe you, my, uh, maybe you matrimony song. The video, I thought the video was so dope. I thought, wow, that is so neat. I think I did know. Because of the video, I just don't didn't think I remember. Because the video is very telling, you know, about his heritage and stuff. But I really love that video, and so that's what made me go out and like, you know, because I was a big video head. You know, I grew up. My household when I was a kid, because my I come from a music. My family, my grandparents are gospel singers, and my mom can sing, my uncle can sing, I can sing a little. But, I mean, everybody can kind of sing in my family. Okay, so like you know, we and my grandparents had groups when I was growing up, so. People would always be practicing in the basement of our house. Uh, we'd be going, you know, I'd go uh, on sometimes with my grandmother on the road or stuff like that, So or my grandpa and stuff like that. And my grandmother did gospel uh, by herself. So it, I, it, music was a big thing in my house. And then there was this group, these people who moved next door to me. My, this is my second, who I considered my second family when I was a child. And they were quite different. You know, my grandparents were very, you know, played like, my grandparents played all kinds of music. But, you know, we were, it was a gospel house, like gospel music. But I still, I still listen to rock or R&B because my grandmother was big on all types of music, even though there was a lot of church music playing, okay? And then I go over to my great-grandparents' house, I would hear uh, country music because my great-grandfather was a country fan and stuff like that. And so, uh, but I'm the Fishers. Moved next door. It was a family. Uh, they had a big, huge family. I mean, and I love this family. This family was a little edgy, right? You know, it's kind of wild. You know, you go to Fisher's house, they be drinking, smoking weed. <laughs> it be all kind of shit going on over the Fisher's, right? But I love that family. I mean, every time I was around there, that family would just embrace me like I was their, like their, their little baby, right? And I liked the adults. I was, and they, they had older. Like daughters, and I would always hang around the older and older girls. And the, my the little the woman who took me around her one of the sisters was this girl Avon, and Avon, and I hung around Avon when I was a little girl. Avon braided my hair. She's in French braid my hair. She used to do everything, and she was much few several years older than me. But I was her little baby. So I would go around and Miss Fisher. I would hang with Miss Fisher. I, I mean, I was like an old soul. I'd be on the porch with Miss Fisher listening to Blues Hour, 
you know, me and Miss Fisher be bonding over blues. As a matter of fact, the Fishers were the first people who found out I could sing because I would sing over at the Fishers. I was like, I would just, I would just randomly like sing a song that I, you know, that I liked. And I remember my grandmother brought me like a Stacy Lattisall album. It was like Love on a Two Way Street. And so I took it over to the Fishers, and you know, they were playing music, and they said they put it on, and I started singing, and they were like, Oh my God! Kiki can sing, because everybody knew me from Kiki as Kiki. So they told my grandmother, and my grandmother didn't even make a big deal of it. She was like, oh, yeah, we all can sing. <laughs> but it, that's how I discovered more music, like, because the Fishers used to just, like, play everything. And then my mom would play. My mother was definitely street. My mom and, and, my, and my, fam, my dad's family. And I would hear all kind of music, you know, R&B and stuff like that in, those, in that way, okay? So... That's kind of how, like I, this I grew like grew up. So the Isley Brothers and all that stuff, you know, that stuff was not like new to me. You know, it was just it was it was a very musical family, right? So so I kind of I kind of get music in a different way. I love music, okay? So I, I kind of because I grew up around it, so. And I guess that's why I'm, I'm kind of saying that because that's why I kind of love to hear those musical conversations when people have them. And I enjoy when uh, the other night when Maxwell was having it, Jimmy Jam showed up, and he was adding his two cents. It was kind of cool. And then you had uh, Sharon, I don't know, you know, Sharon Stone showed up just to say fan out, fan out, fan girl out. <laughs> But it was really a great conversation. I enjoy hearing it. I love listening to the music, all that stuff. So, But here's what I will say. Okay, here's the bad part. I don't know why I got on all that. I was telling you all my history a little bit. But here's the thing. Maxwell kept saying something, and he said this in a few interviews. And i got to really say something about it because it's kind of pissing me off a little bit. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm kind of getting pissed off about this. <laughs> And, you know, he's my favorite, but I will, you know, I be, I will say something when I disagree with it. But he kept talking about how he always felt like he wasn't black enough. I mean, he says this in a lot of interviews. This is like little, I don't know if this is a little steel. <laughs> but he always says because he's, you know, because he's Haitian and he's Puerto Rican, right? And so, you know, when you're coming into R&B music, R&B music was born of black uh Native Black America. It was born out of gospels, born out of Negro spirituals and stuff like that. So you know, he kept saying something that really kept irritating me. He kept saying, you know, I wasn't from the South, and I was like, what are you talking about? You're not from the South. What the fuck? What do you mean? You're not from the South? <laughs> and I've heard him say this in several interviews, and then it really dawned on me something that he was doing. You know, and and I was like, wait a minute. And I don't know if he meant to do this or not. I don't know if he means to do this, but every time when he says he's not from the South, I was like, he's saying that as if all black American soul music, R&B, which is black American, Native American music, was born in the South. Like, Negro, don't you understand that my people been was migrating from before slavery, all around America, the uh, country, <laughs> all around the country, we was everywhere. <laughs> and, and you know, after slavery, we continued to migrate to various places in the United States. And so, uh, 
soul music is not a southern thing. It is a native black American thing. And I think what happens in this, and I and this is, you know, I really have to say this because I think what happens, and this is going to lead me over into talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire again tonight. I think what happens, and, and this is partly black America's fault because we haven't set clear boundaries of lineage for ourselves. Other groups have done that with themselves. Other people who are of black descent, you know, who are, I mean, who are, who are black people have set boundaries about where they come from. But black America has tend to, has, 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 has a tendency to feel lost. And people, we have told ourselves quite a bit of lies. You know what I'm saying? We we told ourselves we've had some people tell us we don't have a culture, but we very much do. Uh, as a matter of fact, most things that are American, a lot of Black people created. I mean, especially the genres of music. A lot of Native Black Americans. It was born out of American chattel slavery. Okay, so Native Black American is a culture. We are not. We are not just from the South. <laughs> We are, yes, that's where the, um, the most of our people uh, were because of slavery and they migrated to various places. But soul music, R&B and everything comes from a variety of places. You had Detroit, the Detroit sound. You had Kansas City. You had, I mean, the Midwestern, you know, sounds like jazz and stuff like that. You had uh, the South that was doing this thing. You had the East, I mean, East Coast and West Coast. It we are native black native black people are a lineage and I think other groups of black people who are first generation, maybe your first generation Haitian, your first generation African and Nigerian, a lot of times people forget that black America carries its own culture because we're so nice to embrace other people, other people of of, of that are black like us, but we're not we're not the same. We have a very different lineage and it's okay to recognize our lineage. We are Adolf, if you want to call us that, foundational black America, traditional African Americans, whatever. But we have a culture. We are not just from the South. I mean, what the fuck? And we did create the sound. You know, that's that's so. Our culture created those sounds and that 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 vibe. And it and that was born out of the pain of racism and slavery in America. So I think we have to protect that a lot. And so when I kept hearing him say that in the interview, I was like, why does he keep saying from the South? (laughs) Because in his mind, it's almost as if he didn't want to acknowledge that we're a culture and we have our own lineage. And I didn't really like that. So no no offense. I mean, I might have been misconstruing him, but I was like, what the fuck? What are you talking about the South? I mean, like, what the the fuck? What? (laughs) So, you know, like he said, people would say to him, you don't come from the South. Like, well, no, uh, what do you mean? What is that? I don't, what, what was black people saying you don't come from the South? What are you talking about? I mean, you had sounds coming out, especially Maxwell's age. You had the East Coast, you had Philly, the sound that Native black Americans doing sounds up from the East Coast from Philly. I mean, Detroit. I mean, all kinds of things. I don't know what he saw. So I only saw that as not a, a wanting to acknowledge black America, traditional black America, 
And I feel like, you know, I kind of felt a little funny about that because I was like, you know, here our culture has embraced you. Like, you know what I'm saying, kind of adopted you. We we didn't see no, like, shit. Black people was like, shit, that's the, you know, essentially a jam. We wouldn't give a fuck about who, who was a singer. We was just like, damn, he, that, that's kind of, that's R&B. That's so, that's, that's dope. Right? And so you Haitian, oh, we embrace you. We get it. You, you Haitian boy bad. You doing his thing, right? But to, to like, to kind of act like we just sort of sound, I didn't like that shit at all. <laughs> I had to say something. And it was funny because, you know, I think even D-Nice was kind of like, he was looking like a little strange. They, it looked always uncomfortable when he gets to that segment and talking about But that's his, uh, I think that's his uh, his insecurity maybe that, you know, and it's, you know what I'm saying? It, it, black American culture is such a, it is a little intimidating. I mean, black America is a little intimidating. We've done a lot and been through a lot. So it is a little, you, you may feel like you're different because, you you know, you don't come from the dominant culture. And that makes you not, di- we're all different, but that does make you a little different, but that makes you have your own story within the culture, okay? So I get it, but I just wanted to talk about that point, okay? So I was talking about my own musical background because the reason why I was talking about my own musical background is because during that time, I was going, now I'm going into the verses night. You know, I got to grow up around a lot of great music, a lot of great people who, I mean, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, I always talk about how black people are so, like, beautiful. I mean, native black America. I mean, we was the roughest times, man. But we were, I mean, I think we were at our most beautiful in those times. And tonight, proof of that was this verses tonight. Um, I'm not necessarily in the verses. I ain't in the Swiss beat and Timberland that much either. But I will say this. Earth, Wind, and Fire, which is the best band that ever lived, <laughs> and uh, Isley Brothers, which is a great, a great band too. But this was black excellence, black American excellence. It, it, it is, and the reason why people can relate to that that music so much is because that, to me, is from the heart and soul of a black America who hadn't yet become tainted and discombobulated, lost track of ourselves and everything. So I think that is why you get this um, beautiful uh beautiful sound tonight and it's something about you know in the 70s 60s when the time that Isaac Brothers came along at the end of the 50s I think late 50s you know you're still talking about Jim Crow era you're still talking about when black people were segregated okay so uh black people what was so different then is because you know a lot of times a lot of people we I've even talked about it on the show here that integration really hurt black people, you know, because when black people were, and, and listen, it, we what we wanted was desegregation, not integration, because desegregation, you don't have to make anybody, you know, what I'm saying is you pulling down those rules down, right, because, you know, the white only and stuff like that, but you, you didn't want to feel like that's, um, that you had to stop there. You had to go there, okay? Integration hurt us for a lot of reasons because during uh, segregation, black people had their own shops, 
Black people had their own movie theaters. Black people had their own way of moving and being. And other black people, what happens is even celebrities have to even stay at black hotels and things like that. And integration comes along. And it's this idea of being with the white, you know, white people are being integrated into white society, and we leave our own uh, businesses and things. See, they knew very much what they were doing with integration. They were trying to integrate the economy. And what gave them that idea was the boycotts. That's why I say boycotts. Sometimes boycotts ain't good, Georgia. They're going to fuck them up down in Georgia, too. I'm letting you all know that right now. Georgia, this is how they're going to pay you back, black people in Georgia. They gonna. This is a sidebar. You know, MLB is right now boycotting Georgia. Black people are worried talking about voting rights. Some, your voting rights, asking for your ID ain't fucking you up. Now, I do believe they need to make better, uh, uh, make a, a voting thing for uh, to easy easier for older black people because older black people are the ones who have a hard time finding their IDs and stuff like that. So, I mean, getting IDs and stuff because they have to get birth certificates in a lot of these states, so it's hard for them. But for the rest of you motherfuckers, you know how to get your own, uh, yo, get your ID and go vote. That shit ain't hard. And uh, you, who cares about them? Te- as long as they ain't giving you no tests like they used to do back in, find out what they was doing real back in the day, really to keep you from voting. Then you really see that lot. Them laws they putting up ain't too much of shit. Okay, this ain't the, this the wrong thing to be getting into a fight and argument about. And anytime you see corporations like MLB and all those places, people trying to boycott, know something's a fuck up. Raise your eyebrow. And the reason why I say that is because Atlanta, Georgia, has been a big place of black entrepreneurship. And I'm sure during the pandemic it is one of the most hit places because of the shutdown. And to have the MLB All-Star game there would be an infusion of cash for a lot of black businesses. The fact that they boycotting that shit is going to hurt. It's going to hurt, and a lot of these corporations are going to continue to hurt in a place where the majority black America sits king at, okay? You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of corporations in Atlanta. Don't get me wrong, more corporations than these uh, black businesses. But I'm just saying you're one of the uh, uh, places where black people, where it's been, uh, black people have been achieving a lot. And what it's going to hurt you in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Now, them Republicans don't give a fuck about that because they give, they feel like y'all are the reason that they lost the election. So you you got bigger fish to fry. And I heard that Stacey Abrams is not even for the boycotts. I think I read that today. So really think about boycotts because I believe that the boycotts, going back to what I was talking about, the time of segregation, the boycotts is what gave them let them see when they when black people started boycotting the bus system because sitting in back of the bus and everything, they understood that the black that's when they realized, damn, these black people's money is really powerful. They taking their money out the system. Then they said, shit, what if we did integrate their ass? We get a lot more money. So this is what they did. Integration is, and what happened is hurt black people ever since because what's happened is. Black people was going, you can't, when you integrate a people who've been damaged in the way that African Americans have been, Native black Americans have been damaged through slavery and Jim Crow and stuff like that, you got a people who mentally not ready. And so when you integrate them into a system, they start thinking that white folks' stuff is better. And we start coming to a, a time where we want to be more and more like our oppressors, and that's why we're in trouble now. That's why we got a generation 
of idiots uh, starting to come up. Not all the not all of the next generation, but a lot of them now who don't understand uh, the core and um, the heart of being, you know, from uh, of what is Black America. Okay, so. Um, I say this tonight that that all that time, all those things help to uh, keep. That's what great make created great soul music. I mean, celebrities weren't that far at that time. Musicians and stuff weren't that far from the neighborhoods, black neighborhoods. They weren't that far from black creativity. As a matter of fact, a lot of our suffering is, you know, is some of the reason that we were able to, and this is going to sound crazy, out of our suffering, we was able to do so much more as a community. It's, it's a, The time that was the toughest for us, we created the best music. The time that they made it the, uh, the, they made it the hardest for black people, we excelled more. We did more. The more and more, it's almost as if, the more they embraced us, the more we let down our guard and fell asleep, and we stopped working. We stopped not working hard, but we stopped. We stopped being our uh, being powerful, being our uh, being in ourselves. We started working more for money, and, and it became more about uh, uh, other things. We lost our heart. We lost the soul of our community. When at one time you. Black people could be, you know, it wasn't that big. You didn't have to, it wasn't a big thing to be sell a million records. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, you didn't have to sell. Black people just was uh, happy with entertaining each other, entertaining in small groups, small things. I mean, if you got on a record label, I mean, it's great and all that stuff, but now you got a lot of black people who promote nothing, but the only thing they act like is they promote wealth. And, uh, I mean, the music's gotten worse. Yes, it has. It's gotten worse. I mean, it's a lot of good artists, but a lot of them they're not selling out, so you won't see them or hear them on the radios. The really, really good ones, and so we—I just feel like we have lost that heart and that soul that groups like Earth, Wind, and Fire and Isley Brothers and stuff have, because they were closer to a time where, you know, they could feel the community was more closer, and I think that. Uh, we had more boundaries set around us. And even though we didn't understand that we had lineage, we did in some ways protect what we had. You know what I'm saying? So um, here's the thing. I am praying that more people, not just, it doesn't matter the age, just rise up to be gatekeepers of black Native American culture. Because uh, if not, we'll, st- <laughs> we, you know, it's, I, re- I remember hearing uh, Farrakhan tell this story one time, a long time ago, and he was talking about, Harry Belafonte was actually there, and I tell this story sometime on the show, but Farrakhan was telling a story once on Tavis Malley's uh, State of the Black Union, and he was saying how Dr. King, he had saw Dr. King one day, Harry Belafonte saw Dr. King looking Melancholy, very sad, when you know, kind of sad, you know, kind of sad or whatever. And he said to him, Martin, why are you so sad? Why are you so melancholy? What's going on? And he said, Dr. King said, I'm afraid I have integrated my people into a burning house. Like Dr. King saw it. Dr. King knew. He's like, God, Jesus. 
it's not going to be good. I can see where they're going to take them. You know, and he said, but my people must act as firemen and put out the fire. That's what he told uh, Harry Belafonte. And I actually believe that Native Black America, you have been integrated into a burning house. And everything that you have, uh, you worked hard to come out of, you worked hard to create, you worked hard to build, including your music, your everything is, is we have, we've integrated ourselves into a house that's burning. But now we got to put out the fires by setting boundaries for our, our, our culture, setting, you know, setting um, and remembering who we are. You know, uh, and that's how I believe we need gatekeepers who are not actually interested in just fucking making money, okay? We need gatekeepers who love Native black America and want to protect, not sell out Native black America, but want to protect our historical value, recognize that we do have a lineage and we are different, and we did contribute a lot of fucking things to the world. We need people like that to restore the culture. Now, people say, well, that's what Swiss Beats and Timberland doing. Eh. I, I, well, here's why I'll say this. I'll just say this. Tonight, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and um, and Steve Harvey, and, and the Isley Brothers reminded me of the greatness of what black people used to be. I said used to. Y'all ain't that no more. Y'all turned into something totally different. Okay, it used to be when, you know, when we, we I remember, with that. I mean, a lot of that was born out the church because we used to be, they used to make us go to church, <laughs> make you participate in singing and all that stuff. That's how you got the great musicians. I mean, great. I, and do you remember they took music out of schools in the, in the, in the, uh, in the 80s, coming when I was like a little bit after I came up. And so you got a whole group of black kids who know nothing about, who are not, who, you know, even though a lot of times I remember black kids growing up in the 70s and stuff, kids would be outside practicing on chitlin buckets, drums. Like they keep beats on chitlin buckets. That's when people jumping in mattresses and shit like that. I mean, all kind of stuff. We we just was naturally a musical people, and they knew that about us, so they didn't provide no instruments and shit in school for us. They knew we were naturally musical, and they did naturally uh just gifted in so many ways, and they did everything that they possibly could to uh, disrupt us, including integrating us into a, a, to a dominant society where they know we would want to become like our oppressor. And one thing, one greater bit of advice the Bible gives about uh, oppression, it says don't desire to become like your oppressor. And that was our, that's our problem. We become like he look up to him, and the music, and you, the music is a reflection of that. It's a reflection of the times of what we have become, and what we, but who we've allowed to be gatekeepers. And it's actually very sad, you know. So um, I just wanted to come on here because I saw that tonight, and I thought it was beautiful. I love seeing the older men talk. I love seeing because you know, I, I I was listening to Earth Wind and Fire, and my mom was belly. Okay, so I love. That group, and I love what they stood for. I love the sound. I remember being seeing. Uh, going, I remember going to my first Earth Wind and Fire concert in my twenties. Okay, right, a little bit. What's that? Like, or my early thirties. It might be my 
late twenties or early thirties, and Maurice was just he he had just left the group because he got sick. I mean, he was getting um, early set. I think it was I forget what uh, Maurice had. Was it Parkinson or Alzheimer's? I can't. I think it was Alzheimer's. But he was getting early on set, and I remember, like, going, oh, damn, I'm not going to get to see Maurice White. Because I used to watch his concert videos and everything, you know. And, oh, my God, the first time I went to see him, it was still, they were so great. I mean, even Maurice wasn't there, and they were so, they was bomb, right? So, um, you know, I just remember the greatness, the greatness of those type of performers. Like, you know, uh, they come from a, a different time in a different segment. I mean, I mean, different time when we were different and so it just reminded me to just remind black people that you do have a culture and you have influenced the world as native black america i'm not talking i'm talking to native black america black america who comes out of chattel slavery who uh whose ancestors have been here even a little bit some people claim before then our ancestors who whose blood is in the soil we haven't. We didn't come over two generations. I mean, not. And it's no diss to anybody else, but we ain't first generation nothing. We've been here for, since the uh, since the American Revolutionary War. Ain't no fucking looking back to Africa. It's nothing to look to look back to. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for everything. But we 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 trend, we we have as a group. We have literally, uh, I believe. That is a that is a it's it's a it's 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 a part of our history, it's where we're from. But we have really moved past Africa. To be honest, we are American. We in the soil. We built this shit, and it is time that we recognize our own lineage and the greatness that comes out of us and how we influence the fucking world. We influence the fucking Maxwells that are out here. We influence a lot of these kids around the world. A lot of the Brits. Who singing? Who do? Who do sometimes uh, R&B and stuff now better than us? Because we done lost our fucking way. But we influence it. We influence motherfuckers all around the world. That is our shit. And I'm telling you, we should. We need to be proud of us. We need to quit telling. Telling. We need to let people recognize we got a culture. We know who we are. We know where we come from. And so that is important to me. And I saw that tonight when I saw them performing tonight. I was like, man, we. That is just. Us remembering who we are as a black Native Americans and where we come from, like the like the history in the seventies of, you know the the mom big mamas, you know and and, and the uh, and the and the, you know our cookouts or our, our parties and our, when our parents would have parties or or church on Sundays or you know just the the vibe of growing up in the inner cities. And going to school and shit like I mean just all the the shit that we did differently in those times from the I mean from I mean I'd probably say in the, especially the sixties seventies and eighties it was such a different time before the crack bomb went out <laughs> I always say before the crack bomb went out because when the crack bomb came, went off <laughs> it introduced a whole other part of Black American life I mean I always call the crack bomb the, the destruction like that was that was them coming for us. That was the, that was them trying to kill us. Okay, literally trying to destroy. I mean, they tried everything, but that crack bomb was meant to take Black America out. And to, for us to still be standing, we need to really recognize how special that we are as a group of people in our lineage, 
and how dope we are. And that's and because our lineage birthed Earth, Wind, and Fire, it birthed Isley Brothers, okay? It birthed all of the Whispers. <laughs> it birthed Frankie Beverly and Maze. That's us. That's us. And we ought to be proud of it, and we need to stand in that great uh, power and that great truth. When we influence so many people around the world, okay, our our heritage, our people, not, not we ain't got to go back to Africa, okay? We ain't got to do nothing. We we did it right here in America, Native Black Americans out there in them fields. Started off singing Negro spirituals, trying to hold on to any kind of faith so they could get through some of the harshest, I mean, the, I mean our America's Holocaust, I mean, the harshest fucking forms of slavery the world had ever seen. And our people just out of their pain, out of their misery, just singing. And then one day it turns into uh, Negro spirituals. Blues, gospel, R&B. I mean, we, what the fuck, we, listen, I don't care what you, we, we bad, okay? That's all I got to say. And not only that, but not, just to talk about, not only do we create musical genres, but look at what we did in medical fields and, and, and other, in all, in science and black people did in, um, in all forms of of life in America, politics. Black people have done so much. Black Americans have done so much, and so we got to remember our shit. We got to remember who the fuck we are. And I think tonight, I felt like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Isley Brothers uh, took us down memory lane. I mean, took me down memory lane to remember those times. Remember, you know, sitting out on my porch. With the, with Miss Fisher and listening to the Blues Hour, or sitting, you know, or hanging out with my family, you know, at a part having a party and listening, right, drinking and playing spades and everything. Everybody talking shit to each other, and the Isley Brothers is playing in the background and all that stuff. And and they son come on and people like, hey, and all that stuff. I mean, it's nothing like us. Nothing like us in the world. We created slang. We created all that shit. Nobody is like us. Native Black America, ADOS, whatever you want to call us, shit. We are the shit. And tonight, that versus reminded me of how dope we fucking are. That's all I want to come on and say. I'm proud. I'm really proud of us. And I hope one day, my prayer is that we get a not a generation, but a group of people from all generations who want to protect our lineage, set boundaries around who we are, and and help us to remind us who we are so that we can get back to being that, get back to the greatness. And there are people who, you know, you you starting to see that happen, people who are interested in protecting uh, lineage. You know what I'm saying? Who are interested in protecting who we are as a people and interested in helping us to remember ourselves. And, you know, that's all. I hope I made sense tonight with it all. I really did. Hey, uh, they need to do, let me tell you what they need to do next. If y'all going to do Frankie Beverly and Mays, y'all need to do it versus the Commodores. 
Spring Hill Matrix can't go against nobody else but the Commodores or Earth, Wind, and Fire. Y'all already gave Earth, Wind, and Fire to Isley Brothers. So y'all got to put, because, you know, I always feel like Frankie Beverly and Maze is the hood version of Earth, Wind, and Fire because, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, even though black people love them from Earth, Wind, and Fire, okay, but they were more, they were, they were pop-oriented too, right? But Frankie Beverly and Maze was like that hood Earth, Wind, and Fire. But I would love to see Earth, Wind, and Fire versus the Commodores. The Commodores kind of had that, you know, that feel. Because back in those days, you could, you had to sing about positivity and love and all kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nowadays, they just sing. I don't know what the fuck. They just be, I don't know. They just be out. It, it just shows how broke down our people have become a little bit. How we are in a, we're in a very, um, I don't know how to, how can I put this? We're in a, we're almost in the twilight zone as a people. I mean, it's we're at this point where we we have to, uh, we have to protect our culture because if we don't, in, I can say in about 50 years, I can see Adolf being erased. Like, Nobody understand black American lineage becomes something else, like a bunch of things that we aren't. Like it it becomes muddled with all kinds of people. And it's no offense to other black people who come from other cultures. I ain't mad at you. I ain't got nothing against that, okay? I said my favorite R&B singer is, from a, is, a, is not a, a native black American, right? But how – well, my favorite one of all times is Luther is, but, but my one that's alive right now is not. But what I will say is this, if we don't protect our culture and where it's from and start looking at ourselves more as a lineage and stop looking at ourselves as some uh, group who has no identity, we're going to lose our core and our essence. And we're already kind of doing that. And we don't need to do that. We need to remember who we are and what we were birthed out of, okay? And we don't need to let other people speak for us. Other people speak has us. We alone share this specific, unique story in America. And we need to protect that at all costs. And we got to quit letting black people get to the top, especially in celebrity world, okay, who don't have um, what is the best word for it? who don't have a humility or uh, who don't have an eye a little bit about what we have done as a people and who don't want to protect it, who all they want to do is exploit our culture. And they can be us, too. Exploit our culture, exploit our culture and uh, break down the boundaries of our culture. And all they want to do is make money. We got to stop that shit. We can't, we can't allow that to happen, okay? And I know a lot of y'all didn't like hearing Steve Harvey's stories, but I loved every damn bit of it because the reason why I loved it is because Steve was trying to remind y'all of a time about how things were back in those days, that everything, you could attach music to a memory. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You could, it was a different time. He was trying to get y'all to understand the time that this music was born in and what it was born from and the type of people it was born from. And I respect that so much. Shut up sometimes and listen to the elders when they talking. Damn. 
the fuck is this one talking? Hear is that me hear the music? No. Listen to the elders when they talk, and the elders got a lot to say. Even they say funny stories. You know what I'm saying? Respect the elders, okay? Steve was saying some shit when he was talking about them coming up in the when he was talking about Earth with a Fire coming up in concerts in the TVs. Man, y'all gotta see concert footage of that shit. That shit, Earth with a Fire used to do some amazing shit on stage. <laughs> Right, so you know, I just loved it. I just say this tonight. I really love seeing them get up there. And I, let me just tell y'all, I'm gonna say this: ain't nobody fucking with Earthman and Fire in the verse. So I love you, Isley Brothers, but y'all ain't fucking with Earthman. I know y'all been around since 1958. Was it 58, 56? I forget when the Isley Brothers started. <clears throat> Earthman and Fire didn't even pull. They didn't pull out half that shit. You, that's that's a song. Um, fall in love. Oh my god! Y'all don't understand all the shit that Earth and Fire got. Earth and Fire got a whole lot of good shit. I mean, listen here. That, I mean, if Earth and Fire would have pulled it, we've been we still be here. I mean, same thing with the Isley Brothers, but not like her. Ain't nobody. Y'all not fucking with Earth and Fire. Earth and Fire is the greatest band who ever lived. I'm serious. And then I give it to Sweetback. <laughs> but Earthwind and Fire, and then Maze, probably Maze, maybe maybe Maze for a second. I I, I don't nobody can mess with Earth, Earthwind and Fire is another. It's 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 nothing like what Maurice White, Philip Bailey, Verdine, and I forget the other man's name. Ralph did. That shit, just nothing like it. It's not. It's not. You, you know, it's, they're one of those lifetime things, like Prince. And Michael Jackson, Earth, Wind, and Fire is that for bands, okay? See, Ivy Brothers is there, too. Ivy Brothers is a, but back, you know, back then there was so many. I mean, you talking about that time, it was so many good artists. I mean, they, yeah, that's why they only got, that's why Earth, Wind, and Fire said they only got seven Grammys. You know why they got only seven Grammys? First of all, I'm not saying that they, in, in, in back in those days they wouldn't, you know, payolo in it up because they was in those days and shit. But not like fucking the day where Beyonce got 28. That's why I sound so ridiculous. Because Beyonce ain't got, here's the music out that day. If Beyonce can win 28, that means the music gets, y'all fucking up. <laughs> and Earth, Wind, and Fire got seven. The reason Earth, Wind, and Fire got seven is because it was actually good-ass music. I mean, it was, you know, it was hard-ass competition back in those days. Okay? I mean, they went, I mean, it was payola out here, but it was it. But it was also a lot of racism, too. Hey, that's probably why they only got seven. But uh, today it's a whole other story with me, you know. I said what I said. I continue to say it's not right in the world that Beyonce got 28 Grammys and Earth, Wind, and Fire got seven. What the fuck? What, where the fuck are we at? But I understand because it was a different time. It was a different place. Now they're just giving away. They're just giving away Grammys for sippy cups. <laughs> You want a Grammy? You want a Grammy? You want a Grammy? <laughs> they just giving this shit away out here now. It's easy. It's easy. It don't really hardly mean nothing much anymore. And that's why I say the Grammys better stop. Don't brag on Beyonce getting twenty eight because we look at Beyonce getting twenty eight and you see groups like Earth Wind and Fire or you see people like Whitney Houston and you go for real. <laughs> but that's because the time the it was a different time in music. 
it's a much harder time in music. I mean, if you play some of these artists in that time, I mean, they would not do as well. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, in those times, work ethic, well, I say people like Beyonce because of performance skills, but in those times, I mean, performers, they, I mean, those type of performers come a dime a dozen. I mean, that, I mean, look back at old R&B and, um, you know, old R&B uh, videos, old R&B concert videos, they were great-ass performers from LTD uh, to Atlantic Star. All of them, they was performing their asses off. It wasn't nothing to perform well back in those days. It's a shock for these motherfuckers today to perform well. Y'all be like, damn, it's a good performance because they come out on the stage and be telling y'all to wave y'all hands in the air. They make y'all work real hard. But that wasn't so back in the day. So that's why Beyonce is such a standout performance-wise, not music-wise. Her music ain't is okay. But performance-wise, because, you know, it, she works really hard. But in the in the days of, the, like, the Jacksons and all that stuff, that shit, everybody was working hard. She, you used to have, they used to, they used to prep your ass before they send you out on stage. Now I ain't no A&R development that much. I just send these motherfuckers out on stage that can't sing live. They be out there. They they barely uh, dancing and moving. I mean, the shit's messed up. I mean, you know, it's not the the old Motown days of development and putting somebody get helping people learn how to move and work the stage. These must they just throw their asses out there now. They just just go out there and sing. Just go out there and rap, <laughs> and you can tell. <laughs> See tonight, that's what that's why. So that's why looking at these artists like Earth, Wind and Fire and Isley Brothers is so like mind blowing for people, and people have such good feelings. That's why Steve Harvey is such a great MC because Steve Harvey comes from a time where you had to be. Uh, I mean, where you, if you was MCing something, you had to be good. You had to connect with the people and the folks. And Steve Harvey, listen, Steve Harvey had probably. I think he said he'd been on the road with them. You know, a lot of comedians used to travel on the road with us, uh, with um, with uh, musical acts back in the day, and that's how they got they got great MCing chops and stuff like that. So you know, nowadays it's you know, they just—I mean, even you know—I always talk to my grandparents about you know the time they used to go on the road and all this stuff and. It was so dirty. Like my my grandparents would tell me about times where they got stuck in cities, like where the promoters didn't pay them, and they <laughs> people used to run out the cities and how like they would have to stay at certain people's homes. Like my grandmother even told me a story about having to stay at James Cleveland's house. I mean, like you know, like you know, it it you know it it's just they. I mean, it was a much different time for Black America during those times of of what they had to go through in performance versus these days with the uh, emergence of hip-hop. Like Steve Harvey was talking about tonight, I think he was saying on Versus Tonight, that hip-hop created a lot more millionaires and everything. But it's unfortunate they created a lot more millionaires, but a lot more um, A lot more idiots. No offense. I mean, not all of them, but it's a lot of millionaires that are idiots. I mean, you know, uh, that are disconnected from anything community, anything helpful 
are impactful on a society. You know, it's one thing to get a million dollars. I, I don't just celebrate people getting a million dollars. I mean, so what? You, you know, the, the celebration is is can you, what you do with that and what you do with what you've been given. Because to me, fame isn't something that you should just have to just be out here spurging. I mean, spurging on yourself. To me, when you get fame, it's meant for something greater and bigger. I mean, I'm, I pray that people use it for something greater and bigger. And a lot of times you have a lot of these artists who just use it to expand themselves more and don't think about community or don't think about the community that built them up or made them who they were and stuff like that. So you even have a lot of black people. So to me, hip-hop to me is a little why I think hip-hop, it's unfortunate. To me, some of the hip-hop artists that probably should have made a million dollars you know, um, they did some of the great, uh, probably uh, old, much older hip-hop artists from back in the day, and uh, now this new, gener- they, this new generation they paved the way for, I mean, they just give anybody a million dollars. I mean, they give these kids. I mean, I, I, who Waka Flocka said he just came in to make a 30, he knew he could make money real quick and run out. That's the kind of shit you got going on today. I mean, so... I don't know. It just I just wanted to talk about this versus because I just felt like it was such a different time. It's just a different era. And I wanted to say that it speaks to us as Native black people. And so I hope y'all get what I'm saying. I hope y'all get to think on it, has a, have a, you know, has a culture and how great that, I mean, how great of a reflection that Earth, Wind, and Fire and Isley Brothers are of our culture of who we are, you know what I'm saying, has a people of, you know, of Native Black America, Native Black America's excellence, okay? All right, whew. You said, Carlotta, boy, you on one tonight. Yes, I am on one tonight, okay? But, you know, yeah, I, I found that interesting because I found it interesting the night before that they had Maxwell seeing and I just, you know, and it isn't to diss Maxwell, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I mean, I don't know if Maxwell will ever hear this, but it's, no, it's not no diss to him. It's just to say that black people, the music that you're singing, the very rare bit of company that you've been invited to, we have a lineage. I mean, fuck. We're we not just from the South. <laughs> We we are Native Black Americans. We we we've been here since before the Revolutionary War. We have a history in America. We don't. We're not no names, <laughs> right? So I just want. I and, and tonight that is proof of our history. That is us, and I'm just so proud of it. And I just wanted to remember. I mean, I just thought about all that stuff was playing around just growing up and playing my mind the different visions of black America in the 70s and early 80s before the crack bomb went out, how different, I mean, how how we were. Not that I want to go back, but I would like to take a piece of ourselves, have some sort of remembrance of ourselves so that we can come to ourselves again. <laughs> Before we become something, we morph into something that is unrecognizable. And we're almost there. <laughs> right? And it takes a great a great 
uh, uh, verses like this to remind us uh, of who we are, okay, just musically and just period, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like uh, music is a big part of Native Black America's lineage. It's a big part of who we are, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, music has helped to narrate the story of Native Black America. Uh, it's very important to uh, what we have built here in America and what we're continuing to try to be and try to excel towards. So, you know, that's what I wanted to say, okay? So that's that. <laughs> Y'all like Carlotta? You a best girl. Okay, so I also tonight wanted to talk about, uh, what did I want to talk to y'all about? I said I was going to talk about a couple of stories tonight. I talked about the boycott. We talked about DMX. T.I. and Tiny. Did I say about that? No, we're going to say T.I. You know, my nerves can't do it this week. I just talked about the excellence of black America. I can't talk about you know, they was playing Robert Kelly stuff tonight. Robert Kelly. I got to say it. Yeah, stop. Let me stop. I'm, I'm, I say what y'all want about R. Kelly. Y'all still celebrate Marvin Gaye out in these streets. And I love me some Marvin Gaye, but y'all do know Marvin Gaye. The story of Marvin Gaye. Y'all do know. Y'all look at my ex. Y'all be canceling Marvin Gaye if y'all read some of the shit I Anyway, however, I got, listen, tonight when, when the Isley Brothers was busting out some of them hits, them, like the hits from the like the 90s or like early 2000s, you know, you got to give it to Robert Kelly. Mm-mm-mm. I know, hey, he ain't been the best. Dang. You know, need to leave them little girls alone. But let me just say this. Okay, and I don't believe all the stories that, that came out since about Robert. I mean, I you know, I'm kind of iffy about because I feel like I'm kind of funny about the whole R. Kelly thing. But I will say this. Robert Kelly's a musical genius. You hear all them songs he, he wrote for Ryan Eisen? Contagious. That boy's bad. I hate to make y'all mad tonight. <laughs> All right, Kelly. I mean, listen here. Yeah, can't hate on them. Hey, some of the you know the some of the most messed up. And you know, I just here's the thing. That's part of our heritage too, because I think that people don't understand so much how much brokenness. Lies within the black. There's no excuse for doing crazy things. I'm not saying that, you know, but there's so much brokenness in the community that sometimes we produce broken people, very talented people, but very broken people. Okay, and um, yeah, Art Kelly is very talented, but he, he, you know, very broken. But the talent, shit. I was in that song tonight, and I said, boy, that's one of the greatest songwriters. I, I just, like Maxwell said, he could just pee out of songs. I know he didn't mean nothing, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I, I don't, hey, I wasn't saying that to me, but it's facts. R. Kelly ain't great. R. Kelly, that R. Kelly is no joke with that pen, okay? 
And you know who else was no joke with that pen? Maurice White and them Earth, and Earth, Wind, and Fire. And let me tell you who else. Tonight, I did not know Ernie wrote a lot of those songs from Isley Brothers. <gasps> Fucking genius. You know what I didn't know? I think I remember David Foster writing After the Love is Gone. After the Love is Gone sounds like a David Foster song. It does. David Foster fucking great. I mean, David Foster find black people to sing them damn songs. They transform that shit. Woo, after the love is gone. That's the greatest goodbye love song, like when it's over. You know, like, that's why I love about Earth, Wind, and Fire, because even the end was spiritual. Like, after the love is gone, it's spiritual. It's like, you know, like, after the you know how people be, you know, it be gone, it be over, but they still be hanging on. It's just to be right. Oh, my God, that shit. That song is the shit. Even when Earth, Wind, and Fire sing about love, like Love Holiday, when it starts off, that's one, that's one of the greatest love songs ever written. I mean, Icy Brothers got fire. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't Say Goodnight, uh, uh, In Between the Sheets, I mean, Caravan of Love. I mean, we could go. Icy Brothers got fire. Uh, what's it? Uh, I'm living for the love of you. Let me tell you, Whitney Houston's version uh, version of "For the Love of You." Shit, that shit slaps. Whitney Houston's version of "For the Love of You." <gasps> Ooh, this fire! And Maxwell's version of "Don't Say Goodnight," like he did in concert. Come on, y'all see here? It's like it's fire. Mm-hmm. I see why the pussy and women was so easy. They like it was so easy to give it up back then with them red lights and stuff. Cause this is how they was for the music they sing. And reasons. I mean, how do you make a one night stand spiritual? Like Earthland and Fire did that shit. Like they made a one night stand spiritual. Like it was a spiritual experience. And now I'm craving your body. Is this real? Temperatures wise, and I don't want to feel I'm in the wrong place to be real. I mean, they tell you the thoughts. I'm longing to love you just for a night. I mean, just all the human emotions that go on. And and it was so. I was listening one time to. I was listening to an old concert. I got like a couple of old concert videos. I mean, got two or three old concert videos of Earth, Wind, and Fire from back in the day. DVDs of them, and um, what's it? Phil Bailey was talking, and he said it's the funniest thing to him is that people use reasons for their wedding song. <laughs> and he's like, you do understand it's about a one-night stand, right? <laughs> right, but it's such, the song is so fire that people can't, because it's such a display of emotions of what happens in this moment where you're feeling somebody and they feeling you, and it feels like, Passion and love, and then after you done this emotional thing, and then you like you remember, you come to yourself like the reasons, the reasons why we here, we're here, the reasons why we feel our feelings won't disappear. I mean, it's just shit. Oh my god, that song is the shit. Okay, God, oh. it's the shit. Great songwriters. I mean, great at you know one of my favorite Earth Wind and Fire songs. I have a few. I have so many. I don't you know it's hard for me to pick one, but one of the my favorite favorite ones, probably in my top ten, is a song called You. 
Oh, my goodness. That shit. Favorite Isley Brothers song. I love footsteps. I've always loved footsteps. There was an R&B group that did footsteps years ago, and they did the shit out of it. Was it Jay? I can't remember who did it. But I love footsteps. I've always, I've always loved footsteps. Um, for the love of you, of course, but... Mm. It's another thing I can't think of the name of My mom used to play it all the time Yeah, but there's a lot of You know, I like Isley Brothers Isley Brothers have always been very sexy, okay Grew with you oh, Yeah, that's a jam, yeah You know Like, you know who else is a sexy group? The Whispers Like, I, I thought the Whispers and Isley Brothers Would have been a better matchup but because they more, you know, because it's hard to fuck with Earth, Wind, and Fire. I said what I said. Shit, it's hard to fuck. Only Frankie, I think, can come through and kind of fuck with him a little bit. But it's hard for Frankie to even fuck with Earth, Wind, and Fire just got so many awesome, so much, so many hits, like even B-side hits. It's, like, hard to mess with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Just like this. Like, Can't Hide Love. Oh, my God. Can't Hide. You know, did you when you hear the words that song, like, I'm with Steve Harvey when he came and threw whatever he threw off the stage. Listen, here, that song right there. You can't pretend there's nothing there. The words, look in your eyes and see you care. What? That song is the shit, okay? But Love's Holiday don't love the fuck. That, that sucks for Love's Holiday. Like, the whole Love's Holiday, the whole thing, the way it's built. Like, that whole, that way that whole song is. Like, you know, somebody can play Love's Holiday, right? Yeah, that can get you in bed. Love's Holiday will mess you. If that's on playlist, that can get people messed up, okay? <laughs> Somebody brings you to their house, and they play, and they, and they have a romantic dinner by candlelight. Don't let them play Love's Holiday. That is just not the song. That, that song is just, I feel like if they were invoking spirits, they put a romantic spirit on that one. <laughs> yeah, so I enjoyed it tonight. I really did. It was great doing it, but I had all these other emotions in it, so I thought I'd come on and share it with you guys. Okay, so what else is I need I need to talk to you about this week? Uh, Jada Pinkett, did I want to talk about that? See, there's not oh Donnie McClurkin. A lot of people this week, and I was I going to play? Oh no no no! Before I go into Donnie McClurkin, let me let me talk about Daniel Kalua the other night on Saturday Night Live. Okay. And the skit they did, mocking African Americans at reasons for not going to get vaccination. Okay, <laughs> first of all, I don't like Daniel Kaluuya already. Like you know, like you didn't know not to do that shit. See, this is not knowing black people. Okay, not not being around black Americans, looking at black Americans from a distance. Because we would have said that shit. What you doing? But you, uh, I mean, but they was trying to bring up all these stupid reasons. But they don't understand that black America. Uh, reasons for being very suspicious of the vaccination does not come from a stupid place. It comes from a very real place. Many uh, uh, with a history, we have a history of medical malpractice kind of in the black community. And so black people are, you, you know, you have to understand that black people have a, a natural uh, and, and, and a, a mistrust with 
with the medical community and for good reason, not for stupid, ignorant-ass reasons and for the way they did that little skit the other night. And SNL, you should know better. I mean, it's ridiculous. And whoever participated in it that was Native Black America, you should be ashamed saying that bullshit. And Daniel Kalua, I mean, the nerve, okay? He's a British guy from Uganda who said he was, allegedly said he was learning our accents at the Costco. Shit. Mm-mm. We should be ready. Y'all, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to about to cancel his ass, okay? What else I want to talk to y'all about? Also, Donnie um, McClurkin this week. I mean, he Donnie McClurkin said, I'll probably be alone for the rest of his life this week. And he was talking about how he just... Uh, you know, and this is to me, I really wanted to talk about this because I felt that um, a lot of people misconstrued Donnie McClurkin, but this was on, uh, this is from Black America Web. It says, uh, TV One's Uncensored is back, and it's returned with an eye-opening story from gospel, gospel music store Donnie McClurkin. The Easter Sunday, this Easter Sunday, Pastor Donnie McClurkin will dive into how he made his mark on the, the gospel industry, adversity he overcome him as a child, and his life's experiences have shaped him. Uh, Let me see. He said, uh, I think he said on here, because, you know, I think he was with the gospel singer for a little bit. Um, I forget the young lady's name, Nicole Mullen, Mullen. But he was saying something. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Pull up his uh, what he said on here, but basically he was saying that he would he really doesn't know what to do with a woman in you know what women want in relationships, right? A lot of men don't know what women want. Straight, whatever you are, bi, queer, whatever. A lot of men just don't know what <laughs> what women want in relationships. But Donnie McClurkin said this, and uh, let me see if I can pull it up here so y'all can hear it. Okay. I didn't know really what a woman wanted, know how to have the relationship. I didn't know really what a woman wanted. I've messed up more than than I've had good. My past relationships were a sprinkling of everything, men and women. I don't know how to do this. And because of that, when things get rough, I go back into my safe place, my music and my ministry. I want to lay down next to somebody that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. I really do. I miss the fact that I did not have the family unit that I could lay next to my spouse with my baby on my chest and be the quintessential dad that raises up a family like I saw in my dreams and I wanted in my heart. So never having a long-term relationship in my life and never being married, my thing is I chalked that up. I'm going to probably be alone for the rest of my life as far as a mate is concerned. Happiness is something that's relative. I've got joy. Joy is consistent. Happiness is based on what happens. But joy is a constant type of assurance that everything's going to be okay. All right. A lot of 
of people were taking shots at Donnie and, you know, saying, well, you need to know. I mean, you, of course you don't know what a woman, you're gay and all this stuff. And, you know, and I, listen, let me tell you, let me just say this. And I'm, I'm going to say something harsh. And it probably get me canceled maybe. I'm hoping not in later years. I don't know. Y'all can pull it up. But, listen, I, if I if I don't agree with what I say, I'll say it. If I, I usually stick to some, some things that I say unless I've evolved past it or some other way. But let me just say this. Years ago, first of all, I've met Donnie McClurkin before, and he's done it a couple of a few times. And Donnie McClurkin is one of the sweetest dudes. I mean, I remember I was, uh, I've told this story maybe on here before as a McClurkin Chapman show, but I used to, my, we, I used to go to ORU. I went to Oral Roberts University, and um, Donnie McClurkin was at ORU a lot, okay? And uh, also, we used to have this thing, I used to go every year to, uh, you know, uh, this uh, gospel uh, thing, especially in my 20s, called Azusa. It was real popular. Carlton Pearson put it on. Every year uh, in Tulsa, uh, they would give this gospel conference called Azusa, one of the best, to me, one the best gospel conference that ever was. Okay, yes, better than a woman that I lose. No offense to Bishop Jace, but yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Azusa was mom, okay? Um and it was held at the Maybe Center at Oral Roberts University. And I was like, my first year home from ORU, I still went to, you know, came, went to, um, I still would go to Azusa. And me and my one of my best girlfriends uh, who went to ORU too, uh, Felicia Crutchfield, okay, me and Felicia, we went, we stayed at the, with our mothers. We went to came to Azusa one year. We stayed at uh, Marriott Marriott Hotel, and every night after the Azusa conference, like we come in, we be excited and stuff. So we be in the lobby, like up late talking and laughing, and you know, eating and stuff and drinking, like just you know, we be laughing or whatever, just me and her. And so Donnie McClurkin would come in, like, right when we were sitting down, and he would always mess with us, like, y'all up, what y'all doing up? And he'd come over there and start talking to us and everything every night during the Azusa conference. I mean, just the coolest guy ever, always laughing. And t- I mean, I remember one night he was coming in with, like, some big people, and, like, he said, hold up, hold up, I got to go talk to them. And we were like, what? <laughs> and, you know, he came over there, and he was messing with us about being up late. And he's like, what y'all be over here talking about? We like, we talking about the conference you? And he said, do you see tonight? And we be talking about, you know, different stuff. So he was really nice. I mean, for those two, three nights, he was great. He Every time he came, just a nice guy. And then the first time I actually saw Donnie McClurkin when I was at ORU, I was in this class called Signs and Wonders. If you were studying ministry at ORU, which I was, I was studying theater and I was studying Christian education, like you know. So, uh, one of the things we had this class called Signs and Wonders. People used to, I mean, used to be all kind of people trying to get in Signs and Wonders. This class would be closed up for like <laughs> months, or I mean, a couple of semesters, right? But if you were a, a, a theater, I mean, like a, a ministry major, then you you got in the class, right? And it would be all these people coming through that would give their testimony. Signs and Wonders was this class class about, you know, what it sounds like, Signs and Wonders about um, things in the gospel from healing to, uh, you know, all different types, different types of situations we would talk about uh, for people going into ministry. And we always had guests in this class. They are always bringing big guests, like big ministers and stuff. And one of the people that came through when I was there was Donnie McClurkin, okay? And this was probably right, was it right at the stand it hit? 
I think Stan, it was a little after Stan, it was huge, like a Speak to My Heart or something was out or at that time or whatever. And Donnie McCurkin came in class and he gave, he talked about his life. And I remember being like, damn. I mean, yeah, I said damn in my head. <laughs> but in this class, I mean, he, his life, he had been through so much. I mean, age of 13, he was molested by, I think, an older member of the family. I can't remember the story all the way, but he told this story. I mean, young boy growing up normal, gets molested, gets confused about his sexuality. I mean, just went through a whole bunch of things. And I don't think his story is that different from so many, many people. But I, I don't consider Donnie McClurkin, like a lot of people say, he's just gay and hide. No, I consider him a victim. I consider him someone, and a lot of gay men, to be to be truthful, it's a lot of y'all that ain't really gay. That's why y'all just interesting. Y'all jump from relationships to relationships. Y'all just sexual about being gay because somebody introduced you to their demon, their sexual perverted demon. And I'm not talking about being gay. I'm talking about the sexual perverted demon of raping children and stuff like that when they were young, when when you were young, and it caused you to be confused about your sexuality and you just went over to something that you felt was comfortable and you didn't know how to heal what the fuck was going on with you, okay? But Donnie McClurkin was, was, was violated as a child, and that violation caused him confusion about his sexuality. And that kind of thing can you can people can be confused about that for a lifetime so because somebody some perverted motherfucker decided they wanted to molest a child, and they set that child up to not know what that child to 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 now some people get over some people get over. Uh, you know, molestation, you know, the molestation that's happened to them, and they become, uh, uh, they straight with no problem. But there are a lot of people who who have, who have suffer and who are not uh, not sure that it's causing them to be confused about their sexuality. I even heard Oprah one time talking about how she was raped when she was a child and has, how it caused her to be promiscuous from the time she was 12 on up because somebody introduced her to their sexual demons, put it on a child. And the child's confused. So when people out here saying stuff about Donnie, you know why, girl, and all that stuff, just remember, he isn't gay by by birth. Like he was saying, I'm gay from birth. No, Donnie was Donnie was raped. He was molested as a child. Okay, and that is far different from somebody saying I'm born this way. Okay. Very big, very big difference, okay? And so a lot of y'all need to come, y'all check y'all ass, check yourself when y'all say that. It's very different because what we do is we create, we make it hard for people in society to get healing. We make it hard when a, when a, when a young man, especially if a young man is being raped by another young man, and it's caused confusion in their sexuality. We make it, same thing with Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston was a victim. When she was a child, allegedly, she had been uh, touched on by a woman in her family. And it caused confusion. Now, I don't know if she was gay, but she struggled all her life with her sexuality because of something that happened to her as a child. Now, if she wanted to identify as gay, okay, whatever. 
But I'm saying that a lot of times people, we cross people when we start saying stuff like, girl, you know you girl, 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 you know what you are and stuff like that. No, that, that that's not always true. Sometimes it's people the, the, the people have been violated and it's caused confusion. And everybody deals with that kind of energy different. So I don't. I, I was. I was very. I hated when people were saying that stuff about Donnie Clark, and I don't like it when people say it now. I don't. And hopefully Donnie can listen. I hope he gets healing. I mean, maybe that's what God. You know, he may be a person who will never have a relationship, and that's okay. It's okay. But it's very hard for women. It takes. A, I'll tell you this. It'll take a special woman, and I, who can deal with that. Because, you know, and, and and hopefully he can get some healing because not only does it cause him not to understand what to do in relationship, he said he's having a hard, he has a hard time with relationships, period. Because when, you're, when you've been violated, it's hard to trust. It's hard to, uh, to, uh, to get into, to be vulnerable. It's hard to do all the things that relationships require of you. And, you know, my prayer is that he gets healing for that and that he, you know, he's able to have his hope or his dream. But maybe it's not to be. I don't know. But uh, a lot of times that's just for some of y'all out there who have you been molested as a child and you're confused about your sexuality, I don't believe it normally it means you're gay. And don't let people put you into a category because and not let you have the room to be confused and try to figure it out because that's a hard place to come from. You're not coming from the point of saying you were born that way. You're coming from the point of saying, I was violated and it made me confused about who I am as a person in my sexual life and how I approach it. And that's not something people should shame you into a group or shame you into anything. It's something that you should be allowed to be able to heal from and figure out on your own what you are and who you are without people putting you, talking about you girl and all that stuff. I don't like that when people have been violated. No, that doesn't mean, I mean, it's different when somebody say they're born that way, but it's when when somebody is saying, "Hey, I may not have been that if if that didn't happen," and I can definitely see how that can fuck somebody's head up. That's your first sexual experiences with somebody who is of the same sex as you or not, or not. You know, it it it, it can it can really cause confusion, or let alone, even it causes confusion when it's somebody of a different sex, let alone same. And that's what a lot has happened to a lot of these people out here, quiet as it's kept. A lot of times we're dealing with uh, people who have been abused and haven't gotten any healing or haven't been allowed room to have healing for their situations, okay? So shout-out to Donnie McClurkin for even sharing that. Donnie McClurkin's always been so open, so uh, um so true to form about what he struggled with over the years, and many people haven't been able to do that. And Donnie has been uh, a guy who's been very open about that, and I can appreciate that. But I had to say that because there's somebody out here probably who may be listening to the show or whatever, and you may be struggling with that kind of thing. Get you some healing so that you can get, so that you can 
kill what, I mean, he says, you know, he got joy, but my prayer is for him to heal the pieces that cause him to uh, have a void when it comes to relationships, to have a void when it comes to uh, being able to share himself with another person. You know what I'm saying? And being able to heal even sometimes maybe the sexuality or sexual cravings that come from somebody's violation, okay? So it is what it is, all right? I see it what I see it. And if y'all don't like it, cancel me, you know? Whatever, shit. <sighs> okay. Had to get that out the way. Uh, Quavo and Salty. Okay, I saw them fighting on the elevator, all I got to say is this, okay? Uh, you can't really tell what was going on. I don't know. I mean, it looked like there was something happening before, like she may have been, I don't know if she was, it, what was happening. You couldn't see what was happening. You could see, like, it looks like she started it from outside the elevator, but you really can't tell because she's looking like she's backing away. So we may have, we, it may have been a point that we didn't see beforehand, right, when he throws her into an elevator. But here's what I got to say. Have y'all not learned any elevator etiquette, etiquette by from Beyonce, how to act in a fucking elevator? Have, has Beyonce not taught y'all anything? I mean, really. I mean, has Beyonce not taught you that there is always cameras in the fucking elevator? I mean, get a grip. <laughs> it is what it is, I'll tell you. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, y'all asked me about how I feel about vaccine passports. Y'all know how I feel about vaccine passports. I could care. I don't think they're a good thing. I said what I said. I, I believe in HIPAA laws and privacy laws. Even if I got a vaccination, so I don't think it's something that people should be sharing with you. But I will share this story, though. I had a weird story happen this week. Because <laughs> he don't care if I share it with y'all. <laughs> my papa, right? My papa is like, okay, my papa is one of the persons that, like, you know, not go, to, you know, you got to convince, you got to, I have to force him to go to his doctor appointments every six months to make sure he's, you know, doing well. I have to do this. This is a funny story. It's a funny ass story. Okay, so this week, so I called my papa, right? And I'm going, Papa, I forget what I said when I was calling him for. But I was like, yeah, so we started talking. He said, yeah, well, you know, I just came from getting my shot. I said, shot? What shot? <laughs> because we had this discussion at Christmas time, Okay. My grandparents and me, because I am kind of like my grandparents, I'm the one, you know, like there's always one in the family that's going to, you know, as the people get older that may, is the main <clears throat> caregiver, well, I'm that person. Tag, you're it, grand, grandkid. <laughs> but um, so I had a discussion with my grandparents as the, you know, because I go and stay with my grandparents usually around the holidays. I stay, you know, from like, you know, Thanksgiving throughout the holidays or whatever with them. And I try to do that every year to see, what, you know, make sure they're doing well, make sure everything's going good and stuff like that. And I had this discussion with them, you know, vaccination, I'm not going to convince you whether to do it or not. That's not my thing. I want you, you know, you know, you guys look at it and decide what you want to do in yourselves. And, and, you know, I was sure my grandfather was like, you know, like, 
I would if he, if there was anybody that you know was gonna get a vaccine would would argue against it. It was him. But no, he's the first one that goes and does it. He does it out the fucking blue. I'm like, what? You went and what? It was literally shock. I'm serious. It, it was so shocking that I was like, it really made me realize something about my grandfather because my grandfather is the strong one. And, you know, like people, you know, like they, when I was a kid, nobody missed Mr. Levi was the man. Nobody missed him. You know, people were scared of him. He used to be kind of big and burly with his big beard, you know. And he's always been like the pillar of, like, the of strength, right? But what I realized and I didn't realize it when I was at home, right? But my grandmother, she watches the news. My grandmother is like, I always call my grandmother Angela Lansbury because she knows where every fucking murder has happened and every fucking, like, I, I mean, you know, I, y'all know where I got the ID channel stuff from, my grandmother. Cause my grandmother was like, I did, she remembers spots by what happened. And didn't such and such get killed up there on 35th Street? <laughs> my grandmother should have been a detective. <laughs> Right, so she has that damn news on every day, right? Like, like she's you know got her <laughs> her ear to the ground. So what I realized is, man, and I didn't think about it is that my papa is out all the time, right? You know, he he goes, he does grocery shopping, he does everything. My grandmother would do it from time to time, but my papa is the one, right? But what I didn't realize is the toll probably emotionally that it had took on him as an older man. Like I said, literally he wasn't showing us probably that he was a fairy, but he was probably more afraid of this COVID shit than I thought. <laughs> and I and it really I it really kinda tripped me out a little bit. But I didn't get upset with him. I just said, Hey, I'm gonna pray for you, call me if you feeling sick, call me if you start you wake up and you looking like you turned into a zombie and shit and you get an I am legend and you know, make sure you call me so we can we can see what's going on or whatever <laughs> You know, or if you feel funny or if you feel a little like you're about to, you know, if you're feeling funny, let me know, okay? <laughs> but, um, yeah, this it was so surprising to me. I, I, I was actually so shocked. And so I, here's the thing. I say this to you guys, and I tell you this story because, and, I, and you know, I know it violates all kind of HIPAA, and it violates my code of what I feel is privacy. But what I will say is this. Check on your older family members and make sure you have a discussion with them about, you know, these vaccines and how they really feel about them. My way to approach it was not, and I usually influence. I'm usually the influence behind anything with my grandparents. I usually am the person they talk to me about it first or whatever and everything like that. And, you know, that can be hard, you know, because if you got older adults that you're, you, 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 you know, you kind of, Help with my grandparents are very independent, thank God. But it's very, um, it's still, you know, it could be very. I had even at one time, I'll tell y'all this story. I'm sharing stories tonight, but for, for some reason, I feel like I should share this story. My grandmother was at one time really sick, and I think I've told this story on here before. And I remember, uh, you know, at the, you know, the hospital, she had uh, went in for surgery. As a surgery, I, I had encouraged her to get. And I had actually made her change hospitals because I said, you, which I'm, which I thank God I did now because 
if she had been at the other hospital, I you know, I believe she, she she might not have been here. I don't know. But I encouraged her to have this uh, particular surgery at this uh, specific hospital, right? And she um, after she surgery, you know, she collapsed or whatever. She went into uh, uh, where they had to med- do medicated a, a, a coma, right? And this was years ago. And I remember I was just so stressed out. I mean, I was really stressed. And my grandfather, you know, he sometimes he didn't want to, he, you know, he's, he's you know, kind of nervous and about losing, you know, your spouse and everything. And he's having to make all these hard decisions and stuff. And so he keeps looking at me like, Kiki, I mean, are you, you, you need to make that decision or I'm going to let you deal with all this. And I'm like, oh, my God. So the doctor comes in to me and says, you know, her surgeon and says, you know, I just want to know, and the, and the surgeon was a Scotsman now, and I think about it. He 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 was always very encouraging, but I remember he says, uh, you know, I want to put uh, a thing into your grandmother, you know, your grandmother's throat because I think, you know, that she she you know she would breathe much better and, I, and she'd be more comfortable. And I, you know, and I was like, oh no, because my grandmother was a, my grandmother's a singer, and so I was like, uh, you say it could affect her voice. It may, it may not. I'm thinking it won't, you know, and she was and she was still singing at that time, and they still sing sometimes now. So I was like, oh no, <laughs> all right. So I had to really just like pray on it. I remember crying because I remember my, my it was a family blast off. It was all kind of craziness here, and I had to make this big huge decision in the middle of all this. So I make it. It was the best decision of my life. But I remember I had said to myself that important decisions about their health care and stuff, I really have to start talking to them about because that it's important to know what they feel about it, you know, and stuff like that. I wish we have had those discussions. So when it came to COVID, I thought I had a discussion where I did say I'm going to leave it to them to make those decisions. I'm not going to encourage them one way or another. But it was shocking to me. It was just very shocking that my grandfather went and did it on his own. I mean, even before my granny, my grandma was going to get, she's going to, she wants to get hers, I, I, which is, it was shocking. I was like, I was really shocked because these are people who were anti-everything when I was going. <laughs> so it, 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 it's very shocking. So have those discussions if you have older relatives and older people that you are taking care of. Make sure you have those discussions so you're going to be left like me, like in shock, going, What? <laughs> And have those discussions about health care and how, you know, you want, you know, and how, you know, how they want, how they, you know, want you to take care of them and make decisions and stuff like that. It's always helpful, okay? You know, so I just, I want, I feel like I need to share that story for somebody. Maybe somebody needs some encouragement in that way, okay? But, yeah, it was pretty funny. I was like, what? You what? You went and got a What? So and, and that's also checking on their mental, what they're feeling right now, because there's a lot of our elders, and you know what, they don't tell, because they come from a tough generation, especially if we're talking about not the baby boomer generation, but my grandparents are from the, what they call the best generation or whatever, the um, the greatest generation, and they, you know, that's a whole different time period. And they, you know, they pride themselves on being tough, (laughs) 
right? So so you really want to check with them because, you know, especially in this environment of news, and that's why I said my grandmother watching the news every day and everything, it, you know, I, I didn't realize probably more of the effect maybe it was having in his head on him, but I really see now that it probably had a little bit of effect, and they had CNN on every day, and they was listening to the death ticker. <laughs> Watching the death ticker up there, right? You know, and so and there, there may have been a lot more fear surrounding, you know what I'm saying, it, especially with your elders, and, and the mental state, not just on young people, but the mental uh, thing it puts on elders, okay? Because it was a, you know... COVID is a, was a very isolating thing for the elderly. So, you know, uh, we as a family decided that we were not going to be isolated from each other because, you know, we, we, we like life is, you know, you don't know what life is day to day, okay? So we're not we going to enjoy our Christmas together. Ain't going to be a lot of us. We're going to enjoy We're going to make sure we enjoy our time together or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So uh, while we paid attention to COVID, uh, we still uh, – we didn't allow that to isolate us, okay? So, uh, you, yeah, I will say that if, you know, to check on your family and make sure that, you know, especially the elders, your elders, and see their state of mind and make sure that, you know, they're doing okay after this because I didn't think about that. I really didn't. I Now I know. I'm like, you know, and here it was so funny because in the midst of this when I was home, during December, I mean, we, we went and got, because he needed to trade in his car and everything. We went to a car dealer and everything. I thought he was fine. But now I see he was probably a little bit more frightened than he let off. <laughs> so always check on your, your, uh, your, uh, your, your, uh, your people, okay, your older elders, all right? All right, you guys. I think that's it. I think I've hit on all the things I wanted to talk to. I wasn't even supposed to come on with you guys tonight, but I did. I was so excited about verses and, and of course, Maxwell and the uh, whole um, D nice thing. That's why I see you though. You kind of what did Maxwell kind of do with the D nice thing? He kind of, I mean, was that kind of like the mini verses? Was that kind of like a mini verses? <laughs> But yeah, it was it was good. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I did. You know, I was in the store. I went uh, shopping yesterday, right? Because you know, it was a day. Hey, I had a day off <laughs> from the podcast, right? And so I was in this store, and I saw some of these cute sunglasses that look just like the state political glasses. <laughs> it was much cheaper. No, but you know what? I've been thinking. I've been going back and forth in my head. Should I give them? Should I not? You know, like I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm like almost gonna be a sucker, right? But no, it's for the kids, right? I, I, I got a heart for the kids, you know. You know, so they can have some scholarships. But they give you a percentage of them for scholarships, okay? I might do it for a good cause. I might buy the glasses. But I did buy the, I bought a pair. It, it was similar. I was like, God, these look just like them. <laughs> but it was funny because I was thinking to myself, why aren't you having those glasses anywhere on this in, on this uh, talk you're having? Are you serious? You should have gave away a couple. Or you should have had D-Nice sit them up there or something. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot this part. Not only was Jimmy 
Oh, shit. I forgot this part. I, when I was talking about Maxwell, not only was Jimmy Jam, did he show up on there and share a song, but Matthew Stewartman showed up on the, you know, from the Detroit Day. Like, literally. I was like, wow, Maxwell, you like, like you got the big dog stumping with you. <laughs> he showed out for his little D-Nice interview. <laughs> Showed up and showed out, okay? Wow. It was really good. It was great. It was fun. D-Nice has had a hell. All I could keep thinking was D-Nice has had a hell of a weekend. I mean, D-Nice is just, he's just working this shit. He's working the hell out of this DJ shit. I hear you, D-Nice. Do what you got to do, bro. All right. Child, that's it. That's all I got in me. I'm done. So I will see you guys. I don't know if I'm going to see y'all next week. I probably have another week uh, where I check out. I wasn't meant to see y'all today. I was not. I actually had a video that I had done for you guys saying Happy Easter and everything, and I decided, shit, I decided not to do it because I was going to come on tonight after the verses. <laughs> so it is what it is, okay? So I did give y'all a show. Look at y'all. Y'all got a show in the midst of my break. Ain't this, a, ain't this something? All right, so oh, I know what I want to tell y'all too. I saw uh, this week there was a great uh, show on uh, Russell. Uh, what's his name? Russell Brand. He used to be married to uh, what's the girl? Katy Perry. He's got a great show on YouTube. I mean, it is so good. You guys should check it out. I mean, he talks about. He has this great discussion with Candace Owens that I really enjoy. Uh, then he talks about a lot of about the COVID stuff going on. He talks a lot about. Uh, government, whistleblowers, he has all kind of things. So if you're into uh, just different talks and stuff, he's a, he's a great guy to go listen to. He even discuss uh, Bill Gates buying up all the form, forming and what that means to, um, what that could possibly mean and what that could look like in the future. Because they went back and he had discussion with people in India who uh, Bill Gates was privatizing, I guess, the farmlands over in India and how that ended up to be a complete bust in India and Africa. So it's very in- interesting. You guys want to check him out. Really, really good show. I really have been enjoying some of the, vi- the videos I have been watching, okay? All right, so it is the end. I know I'm going to talk to you to death. I didn't give you no breaks. I had to say my piece and say what I uh, what I need to say. You know, sometimes I'll be listening back to these shows, and I'll be hearing me. I'll be saying words crazy. I'll be like, what the hell? What's I talking Because <laughs> I'll be talking so fast. So, y'all, you know, I, hey, I hope y'all enjoy the show or whatever, okay? I gave y'all one. I hope y'all enjoyed Versus with Irwin and Fire and Isley Brothers. I hope y'all got to see Maxwell looking all fine and stuff with the afro. God, he was looking good. He was fine. Jesus. He is fine, isn't he? I mean, you can't help but notice that part, right? He's so gorgeous. And you can sing, too, but he's really gorgeous. I mean, you, I mean, she was singing. You know, he's a great singer, but, like, you get it. You, like, you got it all, like, singing and gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. I hope you enjoyed your Easter, your Resurrection Sunday. I hope y'all had a good one. And I will see y'all soon, okay? So we're going to leave y'all with, hey, I ain't got, do I got an Earth and a Fire song to play? I don't know. Do I got one up? We'll leave out with Earth and a Fire, okay? Uh, let's leave out with, do I got Love Holiday up? Let's see. 
That'd be slow, don't I? So I don't know what would be going on up in here. <laughs> I won't be prepared. I wasn't prepared for y'all's show, so let's, um, this is completely off my head, okay? I don't have anything written <laughs> down for this. Okay, let me see if I can pull it up. Yep, here it is, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Love Holiday, okay? We're going to leave out with that greatest love song, one of the greatest love songs ever written, in my opinion. I mean, you know, fire, okay? I'm out. I'll see y'all. Have a good one. Oh, wait a minute. I got to stop it. I know y'all getting mad at me. Like, wait a minute, Carlotta. I, I got to say this. If you want to hit me up, you can hit me up at the Carlotta Chatwood Facebook page. Cause I'm not coming back on. So the Carlotta Chatwood Facebook page. You can also hit me up at Carlotta, Carlotta72 on Twitter and Carly's, uh, oh, shit, I'm getting them all mixed up. Carlotta72 on Twitter and C Chatwood Show on Twitter, okay? There's two Twitter accounts, okay? One I don't hardly use. But I do use the Seat Chatwood Show one, okay? But still follow both of them. And you can hit me up on the Carlotta Chatwood Facebook page. You can send messages that way if you have some info, you want to say something to me about the show or you'd like to be on the show or whatever. The Carlotta Chatwood Facebook page is the best place to send your messages. And you can also look at articles and stuff that I post that I'll probably talk about on the show. Also, you can hit me up on Carly's underscore galaxy on Instagram, okay? All right, y'all, I am out, so I will see y'all. Now I'm going to play this Earth, Wind, and Fire song. <laughs> Go to sleep. Bye. <laughs> I'm